hello, hello, and welcome to From 78, episode number four of the podcast. On today's episode, you're going to hear the second part of the interview that I did with French Horn Hero. Uh, If you haven't heard the first part, episode three, I would recommend stopping this podcast and going back and listening to that one. Uh, The reason I chose to break the interview up into kind of two parts is the first part, I think, is really French Horn Hero and I talking about a variety of things that I think you could classify as heavy, right? Deep, emotional sorts of things. And then, you know, at, at a certain point in the interview, um, I don't know why, uh, maybe we just kind of talked through as much uh, heavy stuff as our psyches were willing to talk through or something like that. We decided to shift. Um, when I say we decided, that's kind of misleading. Um, it, something just happened in the conversation, and I think that the conversation started to trend more towards French Horn Hero and I talking about our respective experiences of being uh, different ages now, today, and just the the different ways that we experience things like libraries and GPS and uh, the the internet more broadly, right? That's kind of what we started to do. And it was a really interesting conversation. The conversation that we had, I think, is a lot of what I envisioned this podcast would be like when I thought that it would be really cool to make it. Uh, So anyways... That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, uh, from here on out, you're going to be listening to uh, the second half of the interview, the conversation that uh, took place between French Horn Hero and I, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Take care. So I have some other questions here with this uh, that I think are are interesting um, around this, maybe this concept of of hauntology. But um, can you think of, I'm trying to think of how to explain this here, uh, some sort of technological event maybe that that happened during your life that you think... um, continues maybe to to have an impact to haunt you or to have some kind of noticeable impact on the way that you live your life now technological that still that still haunts me now sure hmm could you give me an an example for yourself because i'm i'm a little bit confused Mm -hmm. i guess yeah so um i can remember um really clearly a time when, uh, let me think how to explain this. Uh, the, the way that everybody consumes media now, right? Like people listen to podcasts and they, they, they listen to them when they want to, you know, they, they download them, they get in their car, they listen to part of it. They get out of their car, they stop it. You know, they, they come back in their car, they pick up exactly where they left off. Um, you know, if you want to watch TV, you can do it in this time-shifted way, right? Like, you can always pause TV now. You, mm-hmm. you, it's, uh, it's just what people do, right? You, you stop watching something because uh, you got a text message or somebody called you or, or whatever, and so you're going to take care of this thing. And then you go right back to where you were. So I can remember being a kid, and I, I can recall this really vividly. I was watching G.I. Joe, and, um, uh, you know, it's, I was into it because I think the previous episode had been like a cliffhanger. And so you really want to see what happens. And my dad told me that I needed to do one of my chores, right? Like he's like, hey, you need to go do this chore. I think it, it was like um, put away the dishes, uh, you know. And I, I responded and I said like, okay, I'll do it when there's a commercial. And my, my dad was like, no, you're going to do it right now. <laughs> and that was just like, oh, I'm going to miss it. And then I'm not going to get to see it again for possible in my childlike mind ever really until they do a rerun or something. Mm -hmm. Right. But it was this idea that if I walked away from the technology, I couldn't keep engaging. Right. Like I couldn't stop it. I didn't have the control that people have now over the way that, that information comes to them. I, I mean, it it was not like that. I I had to be at this in front of the TV at this time. And that was the only time that I could watch something. That's totally different now, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that is not the way that I consume media today. And that's the way that anybody consumes media today. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that that had some sort of, like, like crazy, huge, massive, big impact on the way that I live my whole life or whatever. But 
I would say that that's a technological sort of like innovation, you know, that, that has changed the way that, that I interact with communications technology and with media and with information mm-hmm. broadly. You know what I mean? And I, I can remember a time when the, I, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I It was not – shows were on at like, you know, 9 o'clock, 8 central, and, and that was it. If you weren't in front of your TV at 9 o'clock, 8 central, you weren't seeing that thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I think that gives me a really good idea. Um I was still, I mean, computers existed when I was a kid, right? But where I went to school, there wasn't really enough money to actually have them. So um, the library, you still had to find books by, you know, using a card catalog, like looking for the book that you wanted in a in a paper format and then going to find it. So the way, and I, I loved reading, I loved I read as many books as I possibly could. So the way that I would find books was either through the card catalog if I was looking for something specific or just like walking around the huge library that we had and looking for something that I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. And now, if I want to... If I'm even going to bother to go to the library, I want to know that they have the book that I'm looking for. Before before I even bother walking out of my apartment building, I want to make sure the library is going to have what I want. And I don't, I don't know. I think that makes my experience at the library a lot less rich than it used to be, a lot less exciting and, and fun than it was before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's, that's a really big one, I think. Um, how often do you go to the library now? Maybe once a week. Uh, it's still a lot more than most people. It's, it's crazy. Like, I know when I walk into libraries now, they're not... I remember a library is a place where you went to get books. Like, that mm-hmm. was really the main reason to go to the library. Now, I don't. I, I think that people go to the library because there's something going on at like an event. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of times for kids, right? You know, um, you're going to bring your kids to the library for like a story to be read to them, or for um, uh, some kind of like uh, other kid friendly activity. Right? It's mm-hmm. going to go down and it goes down at the library. Um, and people go there. I think a lot of times I see people who I, I I'm inferring this based on the way that they they appear. Right? They're either people who don't have computers at their homes maybe don't have a home or their kids that can't use their computer mm-hmm. at home without their parents like telling them looking not at to. them and yeah so they go to the library to do it right, right? like that, that's what the library is now it's like the books are this extra thing mm-hmm. they're not the reason they're they're you're go to the library to use its infrastructure um the, the computers and and things like that uh and the fact that there's books there's like oh yeah those are there too i can take advantage of that if i want to that seems so different than the way that libraries used to be set up mm-hmm. yeah for sure it's it's funny when you, as we're talking about this i i'm remembering a joke a comedian told i can't remember which comedian it is but he's talking about um kindle books and how they're like reduced compared to paper books and blah 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 and he says but people forget that the library has like the best sale going on free books and mm-hmm. so I don't know that that came to mind. I I think you're right that the books are kind of secondary. Even even when I go there, and as someone who enjoys going to the library to find books, I find myself accidentally getting really easily distracted by the other stuff that tends to be going on. Now there's a I've been going to the same library for like 25 years at this point. May, that's probably too long. Like 20 years at this point, um, and it's gotten so much bigger, but the amount of books has more or less stayed the same. So the expansion now is not, it's not more books, it's more space. Like there's a play area, for lack of a better way of putting it, there's a coffee shop. They expanded the number of computers in this computer lab thing. But the number of books has stayed the same. The building has gotten bigger, but the proportion of books to space has gone way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we, there's a library here on this campus. You know, we're, we're recording this. And people don't know this. Sitting at an institution of fancy book learning, a university, and um, I, I went to this university years ago, and I, the library had books in it. It was what I kind of probably what you'd picture, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's not a lot, right? Um, it's pretty sparse. Yeah, they, they have a lot of access to digital collections, mm-hmm. which is cool. You know. Um, so in a sense, access has actually increased to the, the amount of information that you can mm-hmm. get. But what has decreased is the, um, the tactile component, mm-hmm. right? I wonder about this because, I mean, it, I wonder if it's like this with information. I know that, that you can right now go and probably like take a 
a look at a picture of like the spirit of St. Louis, right? The the plane that that they that did the thing. Uh, you can also go to, you know, the uh, the museum. What is that? The museum in D.C. where they keep all that stuff. That's like the there's a specific museum mm-hmm. which is like I, I don't. It's got a name, and I I'm. It's escaping me. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it, I, it's just not coming to mind. I guess like there's something different about going there and seeing that plane mm-hmm. for real. Um, and I'm sure like that that people like to touch things, right? You mm-hmm. know, going someplace and being able to touch it. Um, you know, people can go to Auschwitz now. And they can they can go to the place where this this atrocity this this like gigantic terrible thing uh, that happened you can go and you can see it and you can touch it you can have you can also look at a picture of it online right mm-hmm. um, and okay so you you've seen it I wonder if there's something different sports comes to mind too like you know there's being at a game versus mm-hmm. like watching a game on TV um, I mean you get a better view on TV right but you uh, there's something different about the experience of being there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, even smaller scale than that, um, I have a one-year-old daughter who enjoys looking at pictures of animals, like a lot. It makes her go absolutely wild. But then recently, we took her for the first time to a petting zoo, and she flipped out. There was something totally different for her about between looking at a picture of these animals that she loved so much and then actually going and being in their presence. And she was she was probably terrified at the same time, but she was like just laughing the whole time we were there and so excited compared to the books, which she likes pictures of animals a lot, but there was something different. There was something that the pictures didn't have that being in front of them did have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Libraries were, were amazing. I can remember also, too, getting books from the library, and you have to give it back, right? Like, the, you can't keep it indefinitely. Right. Um, oh, I guess you could be, you'd be in trouble, but uh, because you had to give the book back, it created the sense of urgency mm-hmm. in regards to, to, I guess, reading it, consuming it, right? Like if I was going to go and get the book, it's like, okay, so this is due on whatever day in the future. So I, I would be like, okay, I can, I, I, if I read at this rate, I'll be able to finish the book, mm-hmm. you know, and even knowing that you could, you know, what, extend your, the time that you got to have, I, that's, I did that with libraries too. Like I would, um just sort of like not renew it. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, right. Renewing it. Yeah. So I would do that. But even still, there was this day that like I had to renew it mm-hmm. by. And I think you could only renew books a certain number of times. Probably, depending on the library or whatever. That's the way I remember it. Yeah. So like I, I can remember I went to a bunch of different schools. So like I went to three different elementary schools, two middle schools, two high schools. So uh, schools mm-hmm. had their own libraries. And in school libraries, it seemed to be fairly common that you could, uh, I think, renew the book twice, maybe three times mm-hmm. max. And then you had to give it back, right? Because you, you, somebody else would want to read it or something to that effect. And there were some books you couldn't renew, I remember. Um, one yeah, of the, if they were especially popular. Yeah, or new. Yeah. yeah, 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 that too. Harry Potter was a big one when I was a kid that you had a really hard time renewing. There's, there's two that come to mind that, that were like that. Um, the first one uh, was, was a book that I really enjoyed. Uh, it was a Stephen King book called The Eyes of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. And every every boy, you know, wanted to read that book when I was in uh, like middle school. I think mm-hmm. was when when I read that, uh, like sixth grade. I think uh, everybody did. Uh, there was another one that was like the Ender's Game. I think was another really popular book too. That sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's an Orson Scott card book. It's sci-fi ish. Uh, and then another one. I didn't get this book, but I remember everybody wanted to get this book. Well, not everybody. A lot of um, boys who were my age wanted to get this book. There, uh, Bo Jackson, the athlete. I've never heard of that one. Uh, he was a baseball player and a football player. Oh, okay. He, so he, he was like one of the dudes who did both. And I don't know what teams he played for, but he did both. And I remember the book. It was a picture of this guy wearing like like football pads. And, ha- and he had a baseball bat like resting on his shoulders uh, in the background. And I think it was called Bo Knows Bo. Every, almost every boy who I knew wanted to get and read this book, you know. And the library had multiple copies of it, and they were really strict. It was like, no, you can only keep it for this time, and you have to give it back because somebody else is going to want to read it. I don't, you know, aside from Harry Potter, which is the only example that comes to mind, I don't remember any books, at least that I liked reading, that that were that strict about it. Maybe because the renewal policy was different 20 years later or whatever, or maybe it was that... I liked unpopular books. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Maybe not. I remember reading um, a bunch of Michael Crichton books. Like that was my jam when I was in elementary school, middle. Probably not elementary school, but definitely by middle school. 
and then and then high school. But I never had any trouble, even though I thought they were like the greatest books that I had ever read in my life. But I never had any trouble renewing them or keeping them or at all. Were you reading him before or after Jurassic Park came out? I think I would have been too young to be reading them before Jurassic Park. I think that came out the year after I was born. Okay. Yes. I think. <laughs> I can't no, maybe not. <laughs> maybe it was like 99. Either way, I still would, I would have been too young. I think it came out. No, you're, I think you're right. I think it came out in 94. Um, and I can say that because um, we had summer reading when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember the year that Jurassic Park came out, the book Jurassic Park was on the summer reading list. And I want to say that was like 94, 95. Okay. That that happened. Uh, I'm pretty sure because I, I think, yeah, it was my freshman year summer reading, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and, and so that's where that would, would put that. Mm-hmm. So it, it and I'm probably just trying to get people to read. And they're like, oh, we're going to read this book. It's a big movie. They'll do it. And, you know, it worked, actually. I remember reading Jurassic Because <laughs> it's, it's a great book. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. I've learned a lot about life. I use I used Jurassic Park frequently as a reference in my teaching. Hmm. I don't think you ever have for me. Well, yeah, you've taken some of my classes, which yeah. I, I people who don't, don't... I don't know if that was a secret. Don't know. That's fine. I don't, I don't mind. Um, it, it's not a secret, and we don't have to talk about it, but we did. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll t- I did it today. I was teaching a class earlier today, and um, we were talking about... I don't remember how we got onto the topic. Um, oh, we were talking about, like, like kind of um, community organizing, right? And the, the, there was this idea of why is it that uh, people who are oppressed... You usually have superior numbers to their oppressors. Mm-hmm. Like there's usually more people being oppressed and there's fewer oppressors. So like there's a lot of poor people. There's only a few rich people. Why is it that the poor people don't just like all together kind of get together in mass and go and stick it to the rich people? And um, the example today had to do with slavery. You know, what was it that prevented the, the slave population from active rebellion? You know, some people were saying um, that that there are people who who criticize, you know, their people in the past for not doing this kind of thing. And, uh, I mentioned the, the Malcolm principle from Dr. Ian Mm Malcolm from Jurassic Park. And it was, you know, basically the more parts that a system has, the more likely it is that the system will break. That's how I would define that. So the more people that are involved in a project or in a, in a, um, attempt to do something, the more likely that it will go off the rails, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you gotta, you gotta think about that. If, if you only have yourself, that need, and you only need you just need to go to the store and get some apples. Okay, like you can probably do that. But if you need to tell somebody else, oh hey, can you go to the store and can you get some apples? And then they they're like, okay, I can go to the store, but actually let me text. You know, it's like the more layers there are, the more complicated it gets. So it came up there. And then another time, uh, it'll come up as I'll, I'll make the the comment about how uh, people get so preoccupied with the question of what they can do what they're able to do, what they're um, allowed to do, right? That they don't stop and consider whether or not they should. Mm-hmm. And I say that all the time. That's a good one. I, maybe You've probably used that one, and I just don't specifically remember. But I feel like that's a pretty commonly used uh, quote from, from, that, from that movie. It was probably in the book, too. It's been a while since I read it. But either way, I, th- I think that's probably a pretty big one. And I think a lot of people use it in a, in a jokey way, um, but it's a more powerful quote than that than people give it credit for. I think I never really thought about it in a societal way, I guess, so which is what makes it a, a great movie and a great book. I think it doesn't have to be about dinosaurs if you think about it a little bit. It, so this is kind of interesting, right? So um, I don't know what your Michael Crichton wrote Jurassic Park. Do you happen to know that off the top of your head or even have a ballpark? I mean, if it was on the summer reading list in 94, then it, uh, no, not off the top of my head. Okay. So mm. it, it, this is going to be uh, an interesting potential rabbit hole to, to go down. We'll see here. So there's um, a, a guy whose work I've, I've read, and he came up again kind of recently for me, uh, named Mark Fisher. And he, he one of the books he wrote is this book called Capitalist Realism. And he, but he wrote a lot of other stuff too. And, I'm kind of uh, trying to paraphrase one of his big ideas. So he said that for a long time, you know, science fiction was this thing that tried to imagine the future and it tended to imagine like these really cool, somewhat aspirational futures, right? Mm -hmm. Um, These futures where we would do things that we couldn't do now. Um, 
where people would have access to things that they don't have access to now, like time travel or, you know, cloning dinosaurs or, or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. Um, and then what happened is uh, communism, the, the Cold War came to an end, you know, 89, 90. And at that point, capitalism kind of expands and sort of takes over everything, mm-hmm. right? Like there's now no longer an alternative to capitalism. And he thinks that that kind of represents a really unique moment in human um, history, especially in regards to sci-fi, because he thinks people stop imagining a better future and they start looking to the past and, and going and excavating previous versions of the future that people came up with in the past. And that's where they get their hope. Because now when you look post 19, like 90, 91, mm-hmm. you start looking at the sci-fi, it's like the Terminator. It's, you know, it, it's this really dystopian robots taking over and enslaving humanity, bad juju future. Um, and that we can't look to the future for hope. We have to look to the past. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that came to mind. I don't know how Jurassic Park fell within that schema. It's funny you, you say that. Something that I've got a um, a close friend, she's a, just a little bit older than me, and she tells me, I, I don't want to say all the time, but pretty frequently, like, it would be so great to be alive in the 60s. And I'm like, are you are you sure that it would really be that great to be alive in the 60s as a mid-20s white woman? It probably wouldn't be that great. It would probably be kind of sucky. <laughs> it would mm-hmm. probably be really oppressive and and not that great, but I can, I can see from what you said the way that she's looking back at something that was less scary, I guess, than looking ahead to something that could be more scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it, well, that, that it's maybe in the past, it's like one of the ways you could paraphrase Fisher is that people tended to imagine a future that would be better than their present mm-hmm. in various ways that they they imagined a future where technology was used to like make a world of abundance, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and now they don't see it that way. They, it seems very common that people imagine a world like the Matrix came out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's this world where technology has kind of like enslaved and uh, captured, you know, everything and weaved it into some giant like mechanized machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, they 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 go and they, I mean, there's going to be a... a Reboot, a remake, yeah, of of, of Picard, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're where they're gonna in Star Trek: The Next Generation. I remember watching that as a kid. That is something that I really enjoyed a ton. Um, I remember watching that with my dad, and um, one of the things that was so great about it is that it was it was such a hopeful, optimistic like they're gonna encounter some gigantic problem and they're gonna solve it in like forty five minutes. Sci fi, right? Like mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I saw something on the internet. I don't remember where I saw this, but it was somebody saying something like. Um, you know, in in an era where we have the leaders that we have today, um, uh, we need to to resurrect the idea of Jean Luc Picard as a leader because we need that. And, and but that's going back, right? It's it's retrieving mm-hmm. Picard from the past and now pulling him into the present, as opposed to imagining a new version of like a Starfleet captain, because we can't imagine one that would be principled in that way now. Yeah, actually, I so I've never seen Star Trek ever. But um, the way that you just described it is actually kind of a... So you said that within the span of a 45-minute episode, they're going to solve this huge problem. And um, it's it's funny that you you put it that way because I kind of don't like that in TV shows very much at all. Especially... What's the the one? I think it's Grey's Anatomy. It's it's a terrible show. I hate it so much because what are the odds that something terrible is going to happen every single week at the exact same hospital to the exact same people. And they're always going to figure it out. I mean, maybe I just have a more, (laughs) maybe I have a more dystopian take on it than, than you have remembering Star Trek from back then than I have remembering Grey's Anatomy now. But I I don't, I don't like that trope very much. It feels very, ah, what's, what's the word? Hopeful that, yeah, I guess that's the word. Well, I think there's a difference there that, that Grey's Anatomy is, you know, like a, it's not attempting to be science fiction. Right, right. Right. And that, that when, when Mark Fisher did his writing, he did a lot of writing about horror specifically, mm-hmm. right, and about sci-fi and, and fantasy, those, those sorts of things, like the things that nerds really get into. That, that's what he was writing about. And he had that, this idea specifically that, that science fiction tended to be this thing like um, if, if, you, if you look at even like Robert Heinlein, right, who wrote Starship Troopers, uh, and he wrote Stranger in a Strange Land. 
and he wrote those in what the fifties, I think. Um, that those were these like look at. I mean, the future is going to be really kind of like different than what we have now. There's going to be problems, and he definitely talked about those. But he also, I think, had a, a way of imagining a future where people could do things that they couldn't do. Right? Um, in Starship Troopers, like people are winning in the war against the bugs. Um, in Stranger in a Strange Land, like an alien comes to Earth, and and you know, but they come to Earth. <laughs> it, I don't know. It's it, it's they they had an optimism, I guess, ultimately. And so now, though, if people were to to try to write that, I, I wonder if people would be like, "This wouldn't sell. We need there to be more like robots killing, and we need to be there there to be more like you know uh, biological warfare. This is sci-fi. We need you know what I mean. That that's that's the future that people are imagining. And uh, anyways, his point was that um. The reason that, that that is the way that it is is that that is the course that capitalism will take inevitably, right? That it, it'll lead us down this road of like artificial intelligence rising up to mm-hmm. human, humanity will just be the bootloader for evil AI. Something else, yeah. Stranger Things comes to mind as you talk about that. It's a it's another sci-fi show. It's actually set in the past, mm-hmm. um, but they, they have a slightly different take on it. I mean, if, if you've ever seen it, I don't, I don't I know have. if you have. They never fully eradicate the problem at all it continues to haunt them throughout each and every season so far anyway i don't know what they're going to do later on but they they never figure it out like this the horrible creatures come and they eradicate it for a little while and then a little bit later on it comes back and they have to deal with it again that that reminds me of the return of the repressed you know a freudian (laughs) idea right that you can re-repress something put it back in the upside down but it's still there right on the other side of the the tightrope, right? That's the way they put it. Yeah. I, well, they they call it the upside down. I think. Yeah, but when they they're talking to the teacher and he tries explaining it to them as an ant on a tightrope or something. That's right. That's yeah. right. That makes more sense. Okay. Cool. Um, so here, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit here um, uh, and ask you about some some other things that probably happened to you because the, the point of this podcast is to to be a podcast sort of about people in time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious, do you, do you remember the first time that you, and you might say no, but like, you don't remember the first time because this has been a part of your life for your whole life. Do you remember the first time that you used GPS? It hasn't been a part of my life for my entire life, but I don't specifically remember the very first instance. I remember at least until I was in like fourth or fifth grade, we would like print directions to a place or use a map if we didn't have directions already. We kept one in the car. I don't specifically remember the first time that my dad... My dad's a huge tech guy. So eventually he ended up buying like one of the, those GPS things that you would stick in your car. But I, I can't specifically remember the first instance of it. Mm. I, it's, it's weird because like um, I have this experience occasionally where when I use GPS is where, where I, I have this brief moment where I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> The future is here. <laughs> I can just tell the car, you know, directions to whatever, and mm-hmm. it, it goes, you know, boop, and then it, it, the directions come, and it it's like takes a couple of seconds, and I'm like, this is unbelievable, <laughs> you know. I have a similar experience, but maybe in like the opposite direction, where I'm like, what the hell did people do before they could punch the directions into their phone? I would have been so lost all the time. You were. That, that's the thing. I, I yeah. wonder if – that's a fascinating that you bring that up. Do people think that people just didn't get lost? Because um, <laughs> I got lost all the time. Yeah. Constantly. I would, I'd be trying to go someplace I'd never gone to before. And if it was really important, I would have to drive there um, like the, before I actually had to be there. So I remember once I had a, a, a test somewhere that, that was really important. And so I, I drove there to make sure I could find it, you know, before I needed to take this test. Um, that's just how it was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember I, somebody would be, you'd meet somebody, um, when I'm like between the ages of say like 16 to, uh, I don't know, somewhere in my mid twenties. Um, you know, you'd meet somebody at school or at work or whatever. You'd, you'd strike up a, a friendship or, or something like that. And eventually would get, they, they'd come to, they'd drive to where you lived or you dri- would drive to where they lived mm-hmm. and they would give you directions. And, I mean, usually you kind of jacked it up. You 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 couldn't find it. You kind of you did these things where you'd sort of like get closer and closer. You go in circles, and eventually you'd, you'd get there. But what was different, I think, is that um, and I don't know if people who grew up in a world with GPS being the norm, if they do this still, you knew how to orient yourself in space, right? So 
if I got lost, I would be like, okay, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Uh, but I, I know where this big road is because I, I came on it at some point, right? Like I, I, I drove on that road to get to where I am. So I know where that road is. And I know that road is either like north, south, or east, west. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like your starting point. And then you could be like, so if that, that road was north, south, I was heading south. You know, I turned left. So that means I'm heading west. You know, and you could kind of orient using these directions. But nowadays, I know because I, I talk to people who are in their early 20s or younger than that. And if I say things like north, south, east, and west, it is like I'm, I'm speaking ancient Greek sometimes. I don't think they understand. My, uh, I'm terrible at it. I have no idea what direction I'm facing at any given point in time. But my wife, who is about the same age as me, her, her parents forced her to learn all of the directions of all the places that she lived around. So she is extraordinary at getting exactly like she, I don't think you could blindfold her, turn around 15 times, and then she would still not know what direction she's facing. She could figure it out. So she's pretty extraordinary at it. But I have no idea, absolutely none. Without a GPS, I would never get anywhere, ever. Yeah, you would have never met me because I'd be lost in DeKalb. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's I think the thing that's so fascinating to me about it is that, that that's one of those instances where I'm like, oh, my God, the future is here. <laughs> the future is here. I can do this thing. Yeah, I don't I don't have that experience for myself. The when I think that is when um, whenever I use Google, I remember Ask Jeeves when I was a kid. That was the thing that we used and it was horrible. Now, I mean, I want to know something about like david lee roth for no reason other than it came up in conversation and now i just pull it out and then i look up david lee roth and i know the fact that i was looking for i'm like holy shit (laughs) how did i just learn that i had no there was no way for me to do that 15 years ago and now all of a sudden i know this stuff you know what what was really different about this before is um i can remember going to trivia nights when people didn't have the internet and so they didn't you couldn't you couldn't look stuff up in right. real time, right? So that that was that that's a different thing. But here's the thing that happened often is people would disagree on a fact, right? About David Lee Roth or somebody. They'd be like, David Lee Roth did did this thing and people would be like, No, David Lee Roth didn't do that. It was actually the other person. And you would like you would disagree about it and be like, No, and you'd have to like go through this process of um building a case, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? With with things that you did know to convince people about something that you disagreed on. And you couldn't just settle it. You know, you couldn't just like pull out the thing and type in the, the information and then know your answer. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, it, it's weird. I actually that's fascinating. I never really thought about that, how it's changed the way that people go about just like disagreeing about non-important stuff. But it's and probably important stuff, too, but definitely not important stuff. That's so different now. Yeah, it really is. And it sort of kills the, whatever conversation was happening before that, like dead in its tracks. I the, I mean. If you were having a conversation like that with somebody, um, if you were having that conversation now, then the disagreement, like, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It, it exists for five seconds, and then you've looked up the information, and now one of you was right and the other one was wrong. Or I guess you were both wrong, mm-hmm. whatever. But that, that's something that happens to me frequently. My, my wife and I are kind of combative people a little bit. We both like to argue, and we both don't like to be wrong. So we'll we'll have small disagreements like that all the time, and then we'll look it up and be like, "Look, I I freaking told you that was what the answer was," and then the conversation is over, which makes it a little bit um, disappointing compared to what it was before. I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, it, it was. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun to, to, and even when you were wrong, right? It was actually kind of interesting because you'd be like, "Oh, I was so sure I was right." And yeah, people could construct some really interesting, you know, know like linkages and justifications for what they believed when they were wrong. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is interesting about it is that um, I, I retain less information about the things now than I did before. I mean, before I was able to Google all the information that I could have ever wanted, um, I remembered, like, every single fact about Metallica. They were my favorite band of all time when I was a kid, and I would buy books about them, and I listened to all their CDs over and over and over again, and I had a guitar magazine subscription and they would interview james hetfield and kirk hammett and stuff and i knew like every single thing about them and um 
I still remember a lot of it, but a lot of it has gone to the wayside, and there's no other band or other thing that I haven't studied intensely. I mean, I remember the stuff I've learned in school for the most part, the stuff that I think is important to me, but there's no other topic that interests me even mildly that I remember everything about because I can just look it up, use it in whatever way is relevant, and then it instantly goes away. That's that's kind of cool because what, what it makes me think about is um is, I don't, there's probably a name for this but I don't know exactly what the name is but there's this phenomenon where people are kind of like overwhelmed with options mm-hmm. so it was like um I can remember uh, going to rent a movie from you know a, a blockbuster or, or some such other kind of place and um you know I would, I'd be like okay what do I they they had a limited amount of choices right. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, okay, like I'll, I'll get this. But it was, you, you, there wasn't a whole, I mean, that seemed like a lot to choose from mm-hmm. then, right? Which is a pales in comparison to what people have now. Um, but there's this phenomenon I hear about where people will just like, I don't know, open up like Netflix or Spotify and they'll just look at all the things they could listen to and end up listening to or watching nothing at all. Right. And, and I wonder, um, you know, in, in a time when you didn't have the, the ability to do what you just said, right? Like you had to subscribe to a guitar magazine, mm-hmm. you know? So you had to take, um, or you had to either go into a store and buy it, or you had to, to have a subscription that you paid money for. And that was the only way to get that information. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that, that was both terrible because you couldn't, you, you know, you just didn't have the accessibility that we have now, but it was also wonderful. Mm-hmm. It was also wonderful to, to have to, in a sense, like work at it to, right. to learn stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was um, excavating something really great that nobody else knew about because they didn't love Metallica or um, subscribe to this magazine that I subscribed to. And I felt really cool for knowing this stuff that other people in my friend group didn't know about because I had, I had taken the work on to learn about it and to remember it and to you know do all this stuff associated with it. It's like you could know who a fan was, right? Like yeah, you, exactly. You had, you had to really want to be a fan to be a fan. Right. And I remember seeing people um, at the time, like I think Hot Topic was becoming kind of big when I was in like middle school. So around that same time, and I would see somebody wearing a Metallica shirt and I'd be like, how much do you like Metallica? Let's talk about Metallica. And they'd be like, oh, no, it just got a snake on the bottom. So I really like it. And that, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know where I, this is kind of wild, like uh um, so I, I, I grew up reading comics and I, I worked in comic book stores when I was a teenager. And, uh, there's many times now where I have this, this thing kind of go through my mind where I'll, um, I'll think like, oh man, I wish I was a Netflix for comics, right. Where I could kind of go and do just like, uh, have access to them all. And there's a time that I usually immediately afterwards, I'm like, it's kind of good that there's not a Netflix for comics, you know? Um, because then it would, would go through the same thing. And it turns out actually there is sort of versions of Netflix for comics. DC actually has a lot of their comics online now and Marvel does too. And if you like anime, there's a, there's some like extremely popular Netflix for comics of those too. I I didn't know that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, saying anime, I can remember vividly. Um, one of the the things I never actually really got that into anime, but I did get into Hong Kong action movies. Okay. That, that was a thing that I, I, I was like, I love these. So, um, Chow Young Fett movies, um, John Woo movies, mm-hmm. you know, all these sorts of things like a better tomorrow uh, franchise where the dude's like lighting a cigarette off of a burning hundred dollar bill. It's this iconic <laughs> image. And so I got, re- got way into those. And I remember having to go to Chinatown. You know, um, and uh, get the to buy the DVDs or the VHSs. Actually, going way back to 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 get these things, and that was fun. That was actually something that you had to go somewhere and do. And you, that what it did oddly is it it connected you to other people who also got like crazy into that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, either what's Metallica or Hong Kong action movies. Right. You'd meet other people that were into it, and then you would go on these little like excursions, and you'd you'd have these experiences together. Do you remember going like which quote unquote Chinatown it was you were going to like the one in Chicago or did you not live in Illinois at that point like I I don't know yeah there was always the one in Chicago it was by the, the one time in Chicago because I, I I moved to Illinois when I was in the sixth grade okay um and then I I mean I I went to two middle schools so I went to sixth grade one school then I moved to a different place in Illinois. Um, and I went to a different middle school for seventh and eighth grade. Okay. Um, and then I, again, same thing with high school. I, I just, I stayed 
close to I was in the general Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. um, uh, but moved in a way where you know I had to meet a lot of new people and stuff like that. But the the place once I got to the to driving age at that age where popular culture becomes the thing that you care about in a way mm-hmm. that only teenagers really do. Um, yeah, that was, I was always going to Chicago to, to get things. And then I discovered there was this place that was called QED laser. They sold laser discs. Um, and you could go there and they had a great selection of obscure Hong Kong action movies. Please, please tell me it was spelled with a Z. No. Damn. All right. It wasn't, it wasn't spelled. That would be cool though. I wish. That would have been really nineties of them to spell it with a Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember there was a friend of mine who told me about this place, and it, it, like, my initial reaction was like, "You gotta be kidding me! What that exists? It's where I don't remember where it was, but it was like it was in the suburbs somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, not in the city." And so it was like, "Oh my god!" I also can recall um, having to go to certain record stores in order to get the music that I wanted mm-hmm. to get. So you couldn't just like go to Best Buy and get like a Japanese Smiths import. You had to go, you know, to to Rolling Stone. You had to go to Clubhouse. You had to go mm-hmm. to these these specific record stores, and they were the only places that would have it, and it would cost you a psychotic amount of money for three tracks. I don't specifically remember that because um, I CDs were the way to listen to music when I was a kid, but they pretty quickly turned over to MP3s. Like I, I loved CDs. And then, I don't know, I was probably in elementary school by the time my mom first decided to buy an iPod, I think. Maybe it was a little bit later than that. But either way, I I barely even got to a point where I liked listening to music before she had... It must have been later than that, because I was well into my Metallica phase by the time she had finally bought one. But I don't know, it, it's it's weird. My experience with music is like a combination of... I even, I even remember listening to cassettes before we bought any cds we didn't have a cd player or any way to do them so we would listen to music in the car on cassettes and then it really quickly went to cds and then like barely five or six years later we were already on to mp3s mm-hmm. that's one of those things so it's kind of like the books that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. right where like there's something about going to a place and having the tactile sensation of holding it in your hand right, right. like oh they have it they have it you know there's something about the smell of a record store too compare I, I don't i don't maybe it's just me maybe i'm an absolute weirdo but i just went to a couple record store a couple record stores uh recently and it had, it's been a while since i was inside of one and i remember i don't know it's just like slightly musty because everything in there is old and they have um they have really old school record players at the at the at least at the one that i was at and like there's a cat just wandering around i don't know whose cat it is could be the guy who owns it could not I don't know. There's something different about being there than the really dispassionate um, browsing Spotify. And, and actually, it's weird. I listen to music a lot differently. Uh, I'm like almost too overwhelmed to even listening to even listen to something that I've never listened to before. I don't want to waste my like 45 minutes to an hour on a CD that I'm going to hate when I could just go back and listen to something that I already know I'm going to enjoy listening to. So the way I listen to music now is vastly different than it was before. You're you're making me think of something else too, which is is kind of interesting to me. I remember um, record store snobs, right? Like, which I think they still exist because vinyls have got a, a pretty big comeback going mm-hmm. on right now. Did you ever see the movie High Fidelity? Oh man, it's it's been a little while, but I've seen it. It's a great movie. Yeah, I think it's one of my favorites. Like, it, it, I, I I really really like that movie a lot. It's one of those things that, like, if that's if if that's ever put in front of me, I will start watching it, <laughs> and I, I'll just watch it for as long as I can. I I'm never going to be sick of that film. Um, I think part of it's just like it 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 gets me right. It's the time and place that was my time and place, mm-hmm. and, and so like there's this weird connection there. Probably other reasons too, but. I can recall that. But this idea of record stores reminded another question I wanted to ask you about. Um, You know, did you have an experience when you were younger of um, having a place that you went to hang out Um, that like, you know, places that come to mind, for example, coffee houses, people used to go to coffee houses to like hang out. That was the reason to go there. Um, Did you have something like that when you were younger? Um, When I was a, when I was a kid, the place that I grew up was, pretty sparse it's like suburban chicago and it's pretty far removed from chicago so we couldn't really get to chicago and there was nowhere else nearby i mean there was a jewel osco 
but there were, so what we would do is we would um just like walk or there was one park and if we felt like walking that far we would go all the way to that park and then by the time i was in high school it had gotten quite a bit bigger the place where i lived um so then the mall became the place to go because it was the closest place you could go where it felt like there was a lot of stuff going on otherwise the whole town felt kind of um i don't know the right word rural i guess so so malls are interesting right like um there's a, a guy who who i i read something he wrote i don't remember his name which i did um but he said that you know there was these downtown areas where there was shops mm-hmm. where, you know where people would and people would go downtown to like hang out but downtown was public right like there was public streets and public sidewalks and so teenagers and people like they could just sort of hang out down there without being uh guilty of loitering right because mm-hmm. it was you, you no one could say you you can't be in the park right you can't i mean if it was past dark or something they could but you know what i mean like there, there it was seen as like a communal space basically then malls came around and malls are private property mm-hmm. and you know the the thing is here you can go into a mall but if like uh, you look like a bunch of kids who aren't going to spend any money they can be like you gotta go go away yeah you know and they're allowed to do that and so like that kind of took that away now malls are dying, right? Like as we mm-hmm. sit here talking in these microphones, um, you know, malls are having a really tough time competing with online re- retailers. Mm-hmm. And so like those are going away. I'm wondering, and this is why I asked the question actually, right? I'm really curious about how people who are younger than me hang out with other people. Um, and when I talk to, to very young people now, they talk about, about talking to their friends. And I imagine in my head that they're sitting someplace talking to each other. They mean texting. Right. You know, um, and they talk about hanging out and they're they're like sitting in their basement playing a video game. And this friend is sitting in their a different basement playing the same video. But that's hanging out. So it's different. And I'm curious because that was not my I did not have anything like that. If I was hanging out with somebody, we were we were physically in the same location. Mm-hmm. I was never that into the telecommunications aspect of hanging out with my friends. I mean, I would I would text people when I was a kid, but I didn't have a cell phone until I was nearly in high school, and it's only because I was in band, so my parents wanted to not accidentally come an hour too early or an hour too late. So like, it was did you pretty, play the French horn? I, I well, actually, when I first got it, I played the trumpet, and then um, I was then forced to play the French horn by my band director at the time, who was a jerk. And now you're French horn hero. Now I am. Probably not anymore. I was. For a long time, I was a French horn hero, and now that title's been taken away from me. Ah, I gave it up. Got it. Sorry, I interrupted you, though. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Um, actually, I sort of lost my train of thought now. Hanging out. Hanging out places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, texting was a, a, a little bit of a thing I did, but I was pretty restricted in what I was allowed to do was before you could text unlimited without really paying any more than you would for, like, a basic program. So it wasn't really part of my way of hanging out with other people but my brother who was eight years younger than me so he turns 18 this year that's almost exclusively the way that he hangs out um it was a really 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 big deal that he just got his uh got that's the wrong way to put it um became boyfriends with his first girlfriend ever like two days ago it was a really big deal for my mom who's really concerned because Prior to that, the only way he ever interacted with people was online or on in text form or over a headset playing a video game, and that was it. Is, and, and this kind of is is a thing that happens a lot now too. I wonder about this. Can people have relationships where they're like in a, a, a teenage kid living in Toronto, having a, a dating somebody who lives in like Denver or something like that? Right? You yeah. know this this idea. It, it so with the thing we were talking about with libraries. You know what I mean? Um, and screens and the way that that seeing things on screens seems to be different now and it, it's so normative you know to to engage in relationships in that way for younger people yeah i it, you put it that way and i've i've never fully entered a relationship with um somebody who lives so far away that i can't go and physically see them but one thing that i have found that you might not have experienced is that um i find it a lot easier to have difficult conversations with other people over text as opposed to in person or maybe over the phone like if they're too far away that's Mm -hmm. maybe that's because i'm pretty shy maybe maybe it's not but it's a it's coming to mind now that we're talking about it 
I'm terrible at having any kind of conversation in text. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I saw somebody told me this. I don't know where they got this. They said that, that people who use a lot of emojis are more successful in romantic relationships than people who don't. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, you don't? You probably, I, I've, I've never heard that one before, no. Do you use a lot of emojis? Not really. I really don't like them. I'll, <laughs> I, I will use them with my boss who overuses them like a lot, and it makes me feel like I'm communicating on a level that she appreciates. But other than that, I like never use them. So it, you can test this. You, if you start using a lot more emojis with your boss, see if the relationship improves. All right. I will, I'll give it a try. I'll just, use, I'll just spam them all day. All of our text conversations see, will be covered in them. I don't think that's how it works, though. I don't think it's just like an emoji bomb gets you what you want. I think that what it is is you have to have the, like, um, everybody has, like, their Goldilocks amount of emojis. Mm-hmm. It sounds like for, for this person, if they, they use a lot, you actually have to use them earnestly. Like, I don't think you can just be like, you know, unicorn, poop sign, lightning <laughs> bolt, leprechaun, send. Because yeah, they're going to be like, what? You know, I think you actually have to make an attempt to use them in a way that makes some sense. Okay. But if you do that, like, like you could, you could really track this man. Like you could, you could be like, all right, I'll start off, you know, doing approximately, you know, uh, three to five emojis per message and see oh, that's so how funny. the relationship is. And then like, you can up it, right. You could be like, okay, I have to up it to like, you know, six to eight. <laughs> Maybe the relationship improves. I don't I'll know. try it. I'm, I'm game to try pretty much anything. Let's right. do it. Cool. I'll, I'll let you, I'll report the results later. That sounds good. That sounds good. So um, uh, this thing about hanging out, uh, I guess, too, like this is I, I can remember being a young person. I'm wondering if people had this other than me and I mean, people my age cohort did. But there were like places that were sort of like designated for different groups of people. It's like if you were in this group of people, you probably would go to this place. Um, so one of them was Denny's. Right. And if you were somebody who was into weird stuff, <laughs> you know, which there's a lot of people in a lot of different flavors of weird stuff. So, like, I played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. People who played Dungeons and Dragons, they'd play Dungeons and Dragons till the small hours of the morning. And then they were hungry and they would go to Denny's. And, you know, people who were into punk rock, they would be, um, I think, like punk rocking till the small hours in the morning. And then they'd be hungry and they'd go to Denny's Mm -hmm. and, you know, people who uh, were, were goths and were, um, you know, smoking clove cigarettes and contemplating the vastness of the universe and how, you know, death is coming would, would eventually run out of clove cigarettes and then get hungry and they'd go to Denny's, Mm -hmm. you know, but you wouldn't see like the football team at Denny's at two in the morning or something like that. It just, that would not have made sense. Um, They were of course allowed to go there, but it wouldn't have made sense. Uh, and all that. So that was the thing. Like that was a place where people went to hang out and you could go there. I remember like going to Denny's. I didn't know who was going to be there, but I knew that people would be there Mm -hmm. and they'd be people who I would generally enjoy being around. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I I don't know who's going to be at Denny's. I'm just going to Denny's. I'm going to see, Oh look, that person's at Denny's. I kind of know that person. I'll be like, Hey, what's up? And and you'd go and you'd start, you made friends this way. Mm Mm-hmm. You saw the people you knew well and you met people who you didn't know well and you got to know them well because you knew they'd be at this place. That was not an experience that I remember at all. I mean, it doesn't really help that I didn't live by anything. There was very little in the town where I grew up for a long time. Um, But I do remember that when I got to high school, that a similar experience happened just inside of the school instead of like outside of it. And all the weird kids, I was, I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. I wish I had because it looks like so much fun. But I didn't know anybody who liked it, so I couldn't get into it. Because you can't play it by yourself. That sounds really sad. (laughs) Um, But so I I was a a weird band kid instead of instead of a Dungeons and Dragons guy. And all the weird kids would hang out by the band and choir rooms, and not just band and choir kids, but anybody at, at all. That's just where you found the weird people, I guess. Like you wouldn't have seen that many. Um of the of the people on sports teams at all that would have been very strange for them to be there unless they happened to be one of those one or two people that did both band and football um you wouldn't find any of the i don't know um you'd find you'd find art kids there like the those people who are more into visual arts and stuff like that but you wouldn't find uh, what's the like the um, math geeks, people who were, I mean, I knew a lot of people in school who loved math. Like we had a math club. I don't think there were that many other math leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word. That's the word. 
Um, but they wouldn't have been hanging out in the band room. They were weird kids with big air quotes, but you wouldn't have found them hanging out with my group of friends in the band and choir rooms. Just wouldn't mm-hmm. have happened. Would have been strange. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That makes sense. I don't know. I just, I, I wonder that. The other thing I notice a lot of times now is coffee houses because that was another place that people would go. They would mm-hmm. they'd go to coffee houses. I made a I made a reference to this. I think you might have been kind of nearby when I made this reference, but I I said something like I I came from a time when you could go to a coffee house with a book, right? And you could you could read that book, and it was you were doing it for multiple reasons. One, you might be doing it because you actually wanted to read the book, but you could also do it so that you be would be the person who was reading an interesting book, so mm-hmm. that somebody might come up to you and ask you what you're reading. Mm-hmm and have a conversation with you about it right like and this happened a lot it was not it as i recall it i don't know if i'm like romanticizing the past year it if you were in a coffee house reading a book it was totally fair game and not weird or awkward or super strange to say to the person hey excuse me what are you reading mm-hmm. you know i'm in the ne- to start out strike up a conversation about it and if they really weren't into the conversation you'd suss that out fairly quickly and then you'd just leave them alone mm-hmm. um but a lot of times it, they they were reading the book <laughs> to start the conversation right you know I don't I don't think that that is a thing that happens very much anymore. I I don't go to coffee houses terribly often, but when I do, I almost exclusively see people um using computers. Mm-hmm. And even more than that, I see people wearing headphones mm-hmm. and to go up to somebody and like pull the earbud away from their ear and try talking to them would be extremely weird and um I mean, I don't go out of my way to talk to people who are clearly wearing headphones anyway, but I would I would think that if you were trying to get the attention of somebody who is wearing headphones, um, they'd be kind of standoffish about it, unless it was something vital that you had to tell them, like, holy shit, the building's on fire, we gotta go. But um, I would, I would, so far in my experience, if I have tried to do that, people have been like, what are you, leave me alone, I'm wearing headphones, can't you see? Mm-hmm. Like, stop talking to me right now. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's a a little bit different. To find somebody reading a book is an extremely rare occurrence for for me, from my experience. Because mm-hmm. um, I I feel like I'm probably the person reading the book and in a in a coffee house. So I'm looking for other people that are reading books, and it just it just doesn't happen that often that I can remember. Mm-hmm. There's this thing I've heard that that uh, Starbucks has said that they see themselves as the quote unquote third space. Um, so you have home, that's space number one. You have work, that's space number two. And then they're like space number three in between home and work, hmm. right? Um, I actually think they're much more, in my opinion, you know, Starbucks is much more, if, if it is in between home and work, it's a lot closer to work than it is to home. Um, because of what you just said, I see people going there and it seems like they're going there to work. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to go someplace where they can work and have somebody make them tasty coffee beverages mm-hmm. as they do so. Um, but they, they're not going there to, I think before when I was, so when I, the time I'm talking about when I was younger, I think coffee houses were closer to home, less close to work. And they've migrated closer to work as time goes on. I don't know if that's true, but that's how it feels. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that at all. Um, especially, I mean, it, it, I don't know where exactly you lived when you were a kid, but it sounds like you lived closer, a lot closer to the city than I did. Um, so I could see it being a, a, where I lived. It was basically a giant farm for like a really long time. Actually, for a while, I lived in a town a little bit further south even than that. Um, and everything was really close to where everybody lived. There was there were very few houses, but there were a, a, quite a few businesses compared to the number of houses that were there. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted almost anything, I mean, the grocery store, coffee shop, pet store, gas station, restaurants, they were all within walking distance. Mm-hmm. Um so you didn't see a ton of cars around or anything, but you saw a lot of people going to places that were pretty close to um, where they lived as opposed to where they worked because a lot of the work was further away than that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I always lived in the suburbs. Like a, I never was an urban dweller. I was always a suburban person and all that. So um, yeah, we've been talking for a while here, so let's let's try to wrap this up somewhat okay. quickly here. Um, uh, so two, two questions to wrap, um, but they go together. So... Um, can you, I've, I've done this, I think, where I might have described this to you before. So if you imagine like a horizon, you know what I mean? You have somebody standing, like you can look forward, like to up on the horizon and you can only see so far, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that there's somebody at, at the top of the horizon. They're younger than you, mm-hmm. all right? They can see further into the future than you can see. 
what do you want to, if you were to say to them, hey, look into the future and tell me what you see, what, what do you expect they'd tell you? When I talk to people significantly, in air quotes, younger than me, um, so maybe people that are in high school right now. Your brother? Yeah, yeah. When I talk, I was I didn't want to use him as a specific example in case he ever listens to this and tells me that I'm a jerk. We, um, you don't have a brother. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's totally made up. <laughs> um, when I talk to him, he's he's kind of a, a a weird kid. Maybe that's the way to put it. He would have been somebody that went to Denny's at two o'clock in the morning, um, where you lived. When I talk to him, he is really worried about the fact that a lot of people older than him don't seem to care very much about the other people that live in the world. That's something that concerns him a lot. Um, he talks, a, I, he doesn't know a whole lot about Karl Marx, but he talks a lot about Karl Marx and communism. And he's like, why don't people just care more about other people? It seems strange to me that people seem to be so callous compared to this other um, way of doing life that, that Karl Marx envisioned. Um, so I guess I would ask him about that. I don't know the exact form that the question would take, but like I would ask him something about how caring looks different to him than it does to me, if that makes sense. That's no, it does. I think it makes a lot of sense. That would be interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to ask him if he sees a future where there's, you know, some kind of vibrant Marxism or communism or something Mm -hmm. like that. I'd be really interested to hear what somebody younger than me might say to that. Um, So second question, it's very similar. Uh, You look backwards on the horizon. You look as far back as you can see, and you see somebody older than you, you know, standing at the horizon line. They can see further into the past than you can. What what do you want them to tell you about? Hmm. That's a really good question. I probably should have anticipated it, but I didn't. Um, It's better when people don't, I think. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. Because I, what would I, what would I really want to know about? I, I would, I would kind of want to know about the same thing, about what, what communalism looked like before, um, way, way before my time. I would want to know about um, what it was like to be a protester in the 60s. Um, I would want to know what it was like to be at, at Woodstock or, um, or trying to, organize people without it being so easy mm-hmm. i guess and what that meant for caring about being in the presence of other people so in in both cases you're you're interested in how people um see community yeah yeah i think so i maybe it's maybe it's just my interactions on the internet but it seems like the that people in general are just kind of callous um they seem to care more about dogs sometimes than cute seeing cute gifs of dogs on Reddit than um, than people sometimes not all the time mm-hmm. so I wouldn't I wouldn't say all the time. Okay, well that that that's really helpful. Thanks for taking the time to to sit down and have this very odd, meandering, somewhat uh, perhaps pointless conversation. <laughs> it's been fun about about what it's like to be people in time. <laughs> uh, I'm from '78. This is French Horn Hero. Thank you for taking the time to listen. So there you have it. That was the second half of my interview with French Horn Hero. I hope that you enjoyed listening to that and all of the strange directions that it kind of meandered into as much as I enjoyed the having the conversation with French Horn Hero. So now that this is done, let's talk about what you can expect from the future episodes of From 78. Coming up next, uh, over the next uh, you know couple of weeks or so, what you're going to be hearing is another two-part interview. Uh, this two-part interview is done with a guy named Comrade Adam. And Comrade Adam is another podcaster. He does a podcast called Red Library, a political education podcast for today's left. And it is incredible. It is awesome. It is loads of fun. And I really think that if you don't listen to it now, you should definitely go and start listening to it. In addition to that, 
he and I, Red Library, and From78 both have Patreon pages, so you can support the podcasting work that we do. It takes time to produce these things, so every little bit of financial support is, of course, helpful. Uh, won't say any more about that. I'm sure you've heard that spiel at the end of many a podcast. You don't need to hear it again here. Uh, after we get through those two interviews with Comrade Adam... I am going to probably do one, maybe two solo episodes, just me and the microphone talking about a thing. And then after that, you're going to hear an interview with somebody who picked the handle Grasshopper. Uh, And she, like me, is somebody who is an ex-lineal. One of those people who was born at the very end of Generation X, very beginning of millennial time period. Uh, And so like me, she kind of has one foot in the world that existed prior to the internet and all of the things that the internet brought us and one foot in the world after the internet. It was a really fun conversation. So that's what you can hear coming up until then. I don't know what you're about to be doing, but whatever it is, I hope that you have a ton of fun doing it. I hope that you make loads of glorious mistakes and uh, I will see you or I won't see you. Uh, I will be in your headphones again soon. Till then, take care.